Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'm going to be your host today. On the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices for leading teams, for driving and executing strategy, and other best practices as it relates to leadership and team development. And our goal here on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and executable tips that you can use right away to support the growth of your organization or your business. So if you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube for other bonus content on strategy and leadership, or, and you can join in on the conversation on Facebook in the strategy and leadership community. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Bill Bice, who is the CEO of Boomtime and ZebraWorks. Bill, how are you today? I am doing great. It's good to be with you. I'm excited to chat. Tell me about you. Tell me about what is exciting in your life right now and what has brought you passion and excitement over your, uh, I'm going to call it a storied career, but I don't know if that's the word you use, but over your uh, career uh, as a business person. Well, I I love how you put that. Um, You know, Everything is exciting for me right now because, you know, we're, we're in the midst of, of this just crazy crisis, which has, has really fundamentally sped up every trend that I was betting on. And now we're, you know, we're all living, we're, we're learning how to live a decade in one year. Like it's all being compressed and whatever was happening in your industry and whatever you were expecting, how things were going to be 10 years from, from now, it's, it's today instead. Absolutely. So contextually for our listeners, uh, Bill has founded and invested 27 companies. He started his first company at 18, built it to an eight figure business and really just, I mean, I assert loves marketing and I'm a marketer by trade. So I know what kind of weird stuff goes on in the brain there, but uh, Bill, tell me about your, your sort of approach to, to entrepreneurship, to, to business building, to marketing, you know, what drive, what drives the engine that is you? Well, you know, I started that first company when it's actually a great time to do a startup when when you don't don't have a mortgage, don't have kids, don't have those kind of responsibilities. I would argue that you need to make the jump anytime that you really have the push to do it. But that was a great time for me to do it. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And at the same time, I, I, I actually thought I knew everything already. So I wasn't, I wasn't open to advice and help, so it took me a long time to figure out how to, to run that company. Uh, but eventually, I, you know, I got a good team and we got it figured out. And the last five years, we, we doubled almost, almost every year, got on the Inc. 500 for, for three years in a row, and really dominated our niche. And that's one of the things that I've, because of that experience, I've always loved to do, which is have really well-defined niches where you know exactly who your customer is, makes it much easier to market to them when, when you really understand them and you can bring a depth of expertise to that client base. And so I've just always used that model. And because of the success of that first company, I, I got to, to start a small VC fund and invest in and work with a lot of entrepreneurs, which, which, is, which has just been a blast. Cool. So you learned at a young age how to run a company. You've taken that through into yourself and, and, and other people's companies. So I'd love to hear about, you know, what sort of the, the secret ingredients you see 
uh, also love to expand on, you know, dominating the niche, like what that really means. And uh, of course, you know, the, the COVID context of how that applies in 2020 and beyond. But even then, how is what is the importance of that? And then how either do you approach that from a CEO to communicate that throughout the organization? Or how do you communicate that from a marketing leader's perspective and get that to everybody else to think that way. So why don't we start with your lessons learned about running a company and what you found is required to be a successful company and be a successful leader? Well, you know, the, the biggest mistake I made in that, in that first company is, is really what I just mentioned. And it's, it was not taking advantage of this really amazing capability that we have as humans, which is to project ourselves into the future and really understand what that potential looks like. And the best way to do that is to go find people who have already done whatever it is you want to do. And because I wasn't open to mentorship, I, you know, I had to learn all those things myself. And yet there's absolutely no reason to put yourself through all that pain and suffering because, you know, I've often found that by the time you talk to four or five people, that are either prospective customers or people who've already had the experience of, of doing what you want to do, you tend to, to, as long as you get some diversity in that group, you tend to learn 90% of what you're going to find out by talking to another hundred people that have been there and done that. So it's actually not that hard to really figure out what that future looks like if you just put in the, the effort to reach out and, and to talk to people who've, who've already been there and done that. And then your ability to be successful is, it is so much more likely given, you know, given that experience. Do you find that when you're investing in these companies and, and presumably mentoring other people, that is that the advice that you give them to say, Hey, talk to five people, get them to under, ask them, or, or do you find that it's, do you have to do a little bit more coaching or developing or, or, or framing of the situation to get people to, I guess, buy into that? I, I think it takes some effort. Like the, to be an entrepreneur, you have to have, this level of confidence and and assumptions you've made about the world but the you know the truth is is very few of us are steve jobs where we can just see the vision of the perfect product and it's right enough and big enough idea that even the things that he got wrong didn't really matter that just does not describe 99 percent of entrepreneurs so i'm I'm a huge fan of the lean startup iterative approach and, and it requires that you go out and constantly talk to customers and constantly learn and, and get better. And it, it's just a vastly better way to, to really do anything, but particularly in, in building a company. I hear like an undertone of really customer first, customer first and presumably at all levels of the organization being having that understanding, like drive business decisions, driving strategic decisions, driving operational decisions, driving leadership. Yeah, and I think it's the CEO that has to do it because it's, it is such a common mistake in businesses for, even if you have that attitude, if you have somebody else go do it, you hire a VP of sales and they come back to you and said, well, this is what I hear from, hear from the customer. Then you always question, is it because you, had the, you hired the wrong salesperson or is that really what the customer feedback is? And, and the real issue is that only the CEO can control every aspect of the business in order, in order to change it to match whatever you're really learning from the customer. So it's crucial no matter where you're at from startup to, to really established business that the CEO always has customer contact and always has that exposure to what's actually going on in the market. 
So I presume that even in these businesses that you've been in that have grown to some size and scale, um, that you've sort of kept that customer first approach. And as the CEO, you know, talked, like been on the ground talking to them, what are the actual practical things that you can put in place? You know, do you, do you call them like once a week and just like call somebody randomly? Like what are the things that if a CEO or if a leader in your, or in an organization wanted to develop that skill, what are some practical things that they could do? Well, any method you pick that gets you in front of and talking to both your current customers and the prospective customers of, of where you want to go is, is going to get there. And so you got to listen to both, right? You got to listen to your team. I just, every time I haven't had the direct contact with customers, I always miss something important about what's going on in, in the market. And it's just a, it's an inherent problem with larger companies that it becomes about the politics inside the company. And the best way to overcome that is for everybody in the management structure to keep that contact with, with the customer. It keeps you focused on what's actually important. It's, it's why I didn't enjoy being part of corporate America when, when I sold that first company, because everybody was concerned about how it was going to affect them inside the company as opposed to the impact they were going to have on the market. It's like, why are we doing this if we're not going to, if we're not going to have an impact on the market, if we're not going to make people's lives better. So I have a question around that. And just, again, we get a lot of guests on here. I talk to tons of people just in and outside of organizations. And if we look at like being mission-based, so a thing like we exist to do blank for this person and then different conversations that I lead in teams, some of them say, okay, here's actually our customer, which is the sort of the place that I try to end people up as like, who is your end customer? and How do you understand them? How do you focus your energy? So you're doing stuff for them. Some people have like an external stakeholder or in your case, the corporate is like the internal stakeholder. And some people say the employee is the customer. Like if we take care of our employees, then we're going to take care of everyone else. How do you see that playing out in terms of like putting a focus on something, the employee versus the external customer and, and who should you focus on more? Well, that's absolutely true, right? Taking care of your own team is, is how you get the right result for the customer. But the best way to do that is still to keep everybody's focus on the customer. I mean, if, if, if it's internally focused, you're just at some point gonna, gonna lose track of the ball because the, the customer is going, to, is going to move on you. So that, I mean, that's the management team's job, right? You're, the, the way you're most effective is leveraging the whole team. It's the hardest part as a startup grows of changing from that role of the small team where everybody has to do everything to a bit larger company where now the leverage comes from actually making each team member much more successful. You know, it just, it just changes what your role is as the, as the CEO. But, but I don't think you ever lose the, the focus on the, on the customer. Okay. So, if we take that concept and say, you know, regardless of size, regardless of scale, as long as you're the CEO, you, you take that and then your job is to leverage people. I assert part of that leveraging people is, from your perspective, how to dominate the niche. Like, how do you make your organization such a, 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 not a behemoth, I guess is the word, but that you're the, the player, you're the guy, you're the girl, you're the the one who's leading it. So what are the things that you've done practically, if you can give away some of your secret sauce that have led you to become the niche 
leader. And I assert also like in the process, creating huge strategic value, because if you're just a competitor, you don't have as much strategic value as being the number one or number two in a, in a marketplace. So what have you done that's been successful? Well, it's actually the hardest problem, which is making the really tough decision to cut out the things that don't define the niche where you're the, where you are the best at what you do. And it, and it's so difficult for a smaller business where there's other money at the table and, and I've made this mistake many times, and yet every time I actually get the focus and truly focus on that niche, that's when the business really takes off. And, and I think part of that is because of the power that it has in your marketing, because if you really focus on one area, then and so now you're working with you know, hundreds of businesses where you're really the expert on that. And so you can be talking to the CEO of a great prospective client for you, you're bringing tremendous value to them because you have perspective across their industry. They're, they're stuck as in their running their one company. And that's part of what makes the, the niche approach so powerful because it makes your marketing so much more effective. You know exactly who you're reaching out to. You know, I mean, as you know, so many companies don't really have well-defined who the ideal customer is. They don't really know what the target looks like. And therefore, their marketing can never be successful because it's throwing everything up against the wall and praying that something sticks. So it's an advantage across the board to have that really well-defined niche. When we talk about niche, and this is like somewhat of a strategy question, less of a leadership question, and definitely a marketing question. When you think of mind share versus market share, you know, how do you put that perspective in your team? Like I hear a lot of people like, like marketers, they're sort of creating new words or creating something to sort of disrupt people's thinking and shift what they think they know about a product. How do you see an organization undertaking that, that mind share and market share dominance approach? Yeah, so it's a lot easier to, to get mind share in, in a niche, obviously. I don't like the approach of trying to invent a new word or a new, a new way of saying something. It's so much harder to get that mind share when you're not leveraging something that's already known. I am a big fan of the reframing approach, which is really a different way to do the same thing. This, this is a concept that comes out of the challenger sale. And it's one of the things that's really effective in this kind of niche marketing, which is take something, because you have so much expertise in your niche, you can really take a particular issue in their business that's important to them and provide different perspective on it. It's, it's the perfect way to create new sales opportunities. It's a great way to build new connections because there's nothing salesy about it all. It's, it's, it's entirely about sharing insight and perspective that you are uniquely bringing to the table. And these days, if you wanna be successful in creating sales opportunities, you can't, unless you're the dominant player in the market and you just wanna sit back and be an order taker, because there's so much information available now and because everybody's doing so much research before they even get to you, if you're not part of that ed education process, then you're not going to be in the game. So what you're talking about with Mindshare, I think, is even more important today than, than it ever has been, particularly if you were a smaller player working your, working your way up in the market. So really making sure, because that's one of the conversations... I'm seeing, and, and you know, of course, it was inevitable that we would talk about about COVID and, and making business decisions. But I, I sense, and I know I sense definitely uh, a hesitancy, and a hesitancy for myself. I know, as as you know, I'm an organization myself. Things, uh, a hesitancy in reaching out to people to be like, "Ooh, the timing isn't right," which is more about me than it is about the customer. And then now, as we move forward, there's a lot of talk of like building goodwill. 
then you're like, hey, you know, they're going to buy when it's right. And then there's the calendar sale approach and, and just being like valuable and saying, you know, hey, the thing I have right now is actually really valuable and it's valuable to you now. What do you say to those organizations that maybe they've been doing something a certain way and they've had traction, like they are successful. And now the way that their business model has changed is going to require that they change their marketing approach, change their sales approach, change their value proposition. And how do they go about actually communicating that in a way that feels comfortable to them? Because the the like comfortable thing they used to do is gone. They have to actually move into discomfort before they can move to comfort. So how, how can they do that successfully? Yeah, so the worst thing is going dark, which a lot of companies do in a crisis like this because they're not exactly sure what to do. It's like, but it is the worst thing that you can do. You know, at, at a minimum, you need to go through and address sort of every message and the tone of every communication in order to be appropriate in this time period. But if you do that, then you can stay relevant. And this is a perfect time to be reconnecting with your customer because you are gonna have to make pivots in your business to be successful moving forward because those trends are accelerating so dramatically right now. I mean, you know where things are going in your business, it's just now you're already there. And so whatever, whatever you've been worrying about, it's, you know, it's at the forefront today. So this is the perfect time to reconnect with your customers, learn how this is affecting them and be relevant when this is happening. And what's really amazing is, is marketing is working so much better right this second. To me, it's marketing is all about the analytics and we are seeing so much more engagement and relevance in this time period. And part of it's because people are stuck at home and they're spending more time online. Part of it's because they're looking for new solutions to the problems they're now having. And, and so this is, this is one of the best times to recommit to your marketing. Depending on your business, it may not translate directly into an increase in sales today, but it's going to build relationships. It's what you, know, it's what you were talking about. It's going to create that goodwill. The, but we see this over and over again in a recession. The companies who invest in their marketing in a recession come out the other side much stronger. And so you got to decide whether, you know, whether you want to be one of those strong companies. Or not. And then how do you make that decision? Do you make it as a, and again, this is a, in your experience to, to just like go for it as a CEO. How do you get people on board, board with that process? Well, I don't think you really have any choice, quite frankly. So presuming you have <laughs> the strength and ability to make it through the crisis, then you have to, and you, you have to choose to invest and hit the gas because, because otherwise you're gonna come out the other side weakened by this crisis instead of strengthened. If you're playing the long game, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game, which is all about the long game of business. Everybody likes being part of something bigger. If you're in, if you're in this for the long game, and it's not a you know, monthly financials, quarterly financials kind of perspective, then I don't think you have any choice but to invest in this time period. I equated it to a slow burn because I see some people who are like, oh yeah, like it'll be how it'll be and then we'll just come out and you know everything will be back to normal. But I don't think it's going to be back to normal. And I, I hate, I'm trying to avoid using the word the, the new normal, but some people are just saying, hey, like it's just going to go back and like not reacting to it at all or just like a wait and see attitude. And then there's the sort of like the change perspective around it. You know, just writing an email now, it's around like, hey, you know, your team is new. Even if it was the same team, the game is different. 
And so you have to sort of like reshape the game, reshape everything. And this was like the catalyst, whereas some people already were just like, eh, you know, it's working. It's working pretty good. We're fine. Why change it? And I think marketing, unless you're a driver in marketing, sometimes marketing can take a backseat into more, I don't know, organizationally focused organizations. It's sort of like an afterthought. Thoughts on, on how you see marketing or how you've seen people equate marketing maybe prior to you being in the room? It's not going to just come back. The, the world has changed by this. The effects are going to be way too lasting. The new habits that are going to get formed out of this are not, are not just going to change back overnight. So when we look, I mean, we specialize in B2B marketing, which you know, is traditionally an area that's driven by face-to-face meetings, conferences, networking events. Well, those are all gone now. And when we get to the other side of this crisis, they're not, there's going to be pent up demand to go out and see people again. We've all learned how to conduct business without the same level of travel. We've all learned, you know, the benefit of making connections over Zoom and being able to get a deeper relationship much more quickly because of video. You know, it used to be you spend all this time making phone calls so you could then spend the money to go on a plane to go see somebody in person. And now the very first time you, you talk to them, you're seeing them in person. That actually that has a dramatic impact on what go-to-market is like. And the end result of that is that you have to move your marketing forward to this new digital age. You don't have, you don't have any choice. You, I guess the other choice is to be irrelevant. But if you want to be in business, then you have to make this jump forward. You may have been able to survive off of going to trade shows and conferences in the past. But are you still going to be in business 18 months from now if, that, you know, if that's your primary route today? So we're working with all kinds of businesses that have just suddenly had to adjust to that shift. And it's, you know, it has been overnight, but it's not, it's not going to pop back. You, the sooner you tackle this, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it changes your entire supply chain business model if, if you want to approach it that way, because it, I think it should. It, it should add value. It should decrease your costs. It should increase everything that you do and the speed of what you do, so long as you're open to making that transformation and, and being okay with it. Yeah, and then on the talent side, right? So that, that's really the customer side. But the talent side, the best talent, they're just not going to go back to... So imagine if you're building a company in Silicon Valley, and right now you're running around a free shuttle with great Wi-Fi so that somebody can sit in comfort for the two-hour commute to get to your office. Well, now they're working from home. They're not going to get back on that shuttle again. It's just not going to happen. Twitter's already accepted this and said, you know what? You can work from home permanently. It's going to change the talent race from, from this point forward. Because people are finding out that they're more productive without the commute, without the travel. If you want the best people, you're going to have to support that and add that to your business, even if you want to have a core uh, at the office. How do you, so we talked about SMBs, SMEs, small to medium enterprise, small to medium business. If we look at that level, let's say we'll call it a perk to sort of like make it easier to get to work. Now you, you've, lo- you've lost that sort of competitive advantage what are people going to compete on now? Are they just going to compete on the job itself? Like how engaging the the work is going to be, which is novel and I can't help but laugh, but you know, what is that in your opinion, what is going to be that driving force for that talent attraction and retention? Well, I think the benefit that an SMB has always had is that as someone looking at joining that team, your ability to have an impact is, is so much more significant in a smaller company. I mean, I'm sorry, but, but becoming another marketer, another engineer, another whatever at Google you're not going to change the world. That time is way past. 
but to join the smaller company where you can really have an impact. To me, that has always been the advantage for recruiting for a smaller business. And frankly, if someone isn't passionate about that, and that's not why they're buying into it, then, then you don't want them. So I, I think those two things go together really well. I love that. Okay, I'm gonna wrap it, take it all back to the beginning before we end here. Let's tie marketing in with impact. What are your some best practices with actually like saying, hey, because sometimes marketing can be so broad to people if they don't know how it works. You talked on the data analytics piece. How do we know if marketing is working and, and what are some of the best practices to make sure we're, we're spending on the right stuff and not the wrong stuff? Well, so the, the only thing you have to do to make your marketing vastly better is avoid the two biggest mistakes that almost every company makes, which is number one, talking about yourself. Nobody cares. Like all of your marketing should be talking about what your customer cares about. Most companies have that, you know, that should be 90-10 and most companies have it flipped the wrong way. And then the second thing is the lack of, of consistency. It's why so many companies don't get a return on their investment. I call it random acts of marketing. That, that is the plan for most businesses marketing. You, you need to pick a long-term strategy and stick with it. And the best way to do that is there's somebody who's already spent millions of dollars testing out. I mean, it's really one of the things we talked about before. Somebody's already done it. So just take that strategy that's already working well in your market. And because you know it works, you can commit to it long-term. It, it is the biggest problem in marketing is the, is the lack of commitment and the lack of consistency. Consistency, commitment, which I think applies to all areas of leadership, marketing, business, and be cognizant of the impact. Your people want to have an impact your marketing wants to have an impact. Your business wants to have an impact. So don't get in the way. <laughs> yeah, um, if that's really the, the culture of your business, then it'll come through in your marketing and it'll attract exactly the right kind of customers. Yeah, I got that. Any other best practices or anything else you want to leave our listeners on before we finish up today? Well, you know, for most businesses, the, the growth they're looking for is actually in the low-hanging fruit that's just sitting out there. I mean, I, I love working with the, my, my favorite question for any CEO, when I sit down with them to help them with their marketing is, where did your last couple of, of new clients come from? And 99% of the time they say, oh, it was a referral from so-and-so, which is exactly the answer that I'm looking for. So if you can say that, then you've already done all of the hard work. It's actually really easy to do marketing when, when that's the circumstance, because now all we gotta do is amplify the effect of that thing that's already working really well, right? You're already taking care of your customers. You already have referrals coming in. You just want more referrals. That is the ideal circumstance to be in as a marketer. And if they're not getting referrals? Well, that's a whole nother problem because <laughs> there's no point in focusing on marketing if you haven't solved that problem, right? So if you can't go acquire the first couple of customers just you know, through pure grit in your own network and, and you're not doing the right things to make them happy that generates referrals, then don't do marketing because you, you haven't built the foundation. It's just gonna be wasted money. I got that. That's awesome. Thank you, Bill. Well, I think that's, you know, a great, I mean, it, it actually leaves more questions than answers, but I suppose if you're a leader listening to this and if, you know, taking it back to your organization and your team, getting really connected to what the customer wants, engaging in a, in a regular system for checking in, you know, measuring the impact of, of what you're doing and the impact on your people, and then getting to a place where you can dominate your niche. And if you're not there and you're not getting referrals, then there, there's work to be done. So Bill, how can, uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can people learn more about what you teach, what you talk about, what you live um, in terms of marketing and then management as well? 
Yeah, that was a, that was an awesome summary. Thank you. So you you can find me at ceoboomtime.com. That of course is the is the website. Also, you can find me on LinkedIn, where where I'm demonstrating the things that we talk about in terms of of how to do uh, how to do great marketing. That's awesome, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fun. Oh, my guest today has been Bill Bice, who is the CEO of Boomtime and ZebraWorks. And as we talked about through the podcast, you know, the world is changing, life is changing, business is changing, and marketing is the one that pays the bills. And so, you know, if you don't believe it or not, your business is changing. And I really encourage you to take some of uh, Bill's thoughts and expertise to heart, incorporate that within your team. It'll help you not only be more resilient for the years to come, but it'll help you dominate your niche, help you be successful long-term and the short-term. So if you know somebody who is looking to uh, acquire greater skills in marketing, business, or management, be sure to send them this podcast. And of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, be sure to share, and I hope you just had a good time today. So again, thank you, Bill, for joining me. And uh, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. And until next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you're in the process of renewing your strategic plan and you're looking for a framework to align your team and to create a clear vision, clear goals, and a clear roadmap on how to get there, be sure to check out our signature course that will walk you through the process that we've used to create hundreds of strategic plans successfully for organizations all over the world. You'll get instant access to all the videos and documents right away. And so whether you're planning a strategy session in three months, three weeks, or three days, you'll be able to get the most out of your meeting and have everyone be on the same page and bought into your plan. It's the exact same framework that we've used for our clients and we've packaged it in a way that you can use it easily yourself. So visit smestrategy.net slash course and you can use the code podcast for $100 off. That's smestrategy.net slash course and use the code podcast for $100 off and you'll get instant access to all of the tools to help you create your strategic plan successfully and have everybody moving forward on the same page. Once again, this is Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you real soon.